This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Indeed, the Word of God is living and effective, sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating even between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and able to discern reflections and thoughts of the heart. Yes, the Word of God is living and effective today in my life and in yours. And that's the very reason why I'm offering this weekly podcast where I reflect upon the liturgical scripture readings for the Sunday Mass. So now, please join me on Faith Moments with Dina Marie as we break open the Word of God together, inviting His Word to change our lives forever. Greetings and welcome to Faith Moments with Dina Marie, a weekly podcast where we proclaim and ponder the Sunday Mass readings. Today, we are into the 29th Sunday in Ordinary Time on this Sunday, October 22nd. It also is a special feast day in the church. It's the feast day of Pope St. John Paul II. St. John Paul II spent 27 years in the papacy. He was elected in October, in fact, October 16th, 1978, was our 263rd Pope, a successor to Peter, and he died on April 5th, 2005. And so today we recognize on the 22nd of October, Pope St. John Paul II, and we'll close with a little reflection from Pope St. John Paul II as we close today. The theme, as I look at these readings, they're a little bit different focus than the last couple of weeks that we've had. And I have two different thoughts to present as you hear these readings. One is pray for Cyrus, pray for the Cyruses of the world and God's unlikely agent. Who is God's unlikely agent? Are you worried about that person or is that person God's unlikely agent? So let's begin with our readings today. In fact, I do need to go back to the collect because as we look to the collect prayer, these are beautiful prayers that help guide us into a greater meditation for these readings. So let's begin in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty, ever-living God, grant that we may always conform our will to yours and serve your majesty in sincerity of heart. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. Our first reading is a reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Thus says the Lord to his anointed Cyrus, whose right hand I grasp, subduing nations before him and making kings run in his service, opening doors before him and leaving the gates unbarred. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen one, I have called you by your name, giving you a title, though you knew me not. I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. 
It is I who arm you, though you know me not, so that toward the rising and the setting of the sun, people may know that there is none besides me. I am the Lord. There is no other. The word of the Lord. Our psalm is Psalm 96. Give the Lord glory and honor. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all you lands. Tell his glory among the nations, among all peoples, his wondrous deeds. Give the Lord glory and honor. For great is the Lord and highly to be praised. Awesome is he beyond all gods. For all the gods of the nations are things of naught, but the Lord made the heavens. Give the Lord glory and honor. Give to the Lord, you families of nations. Give to the Lord glory and praise. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring gifts and enter his courts. Give the Lord glory and honor. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord is king. He governs the peoples with equity. Give the Lord glory and honor. Our second reading is a reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Thessalonians. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the Church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you remembering you in our prayers, unceasingly calling to mind your work of faith and labor of love and endurance in hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before our God and Father, knowing, brothers and sisters, loved by God, how you were chosen. For our gospel did not come to you in word alone, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with much conviction. The Word of the Lord. Our Gospel is a reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. The Pharisees went off and plotted how they might entrap Jesus in speech. They sent their disciples to him with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are a truthful man, and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. And you are not concerned with anyone's opinion, for you do not regard a person's status. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? Knowing their malice, Jesus said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin that pays the census tax. Then they handed him the Roman coin. He said to them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? They replied, Caesar's. At that he said to them, Then repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I want to go back a little bit to this first reading in Isaiah, and I'm going to open up my Bible and just read a little bit before chapter 
45, which is in the reading for today. It's chapter 45, verse one, and then four through six is in the lectionary, but it always helps when you are reading the scriptures to go a little bit before, to go a little bit after. And if the lectionary skips some lines, when we read them, we get a little bit better sense what's going on here. And maybe this will fill in some blanks in what's happening in the readings. And so the uh, the section before chapter 45 in my Bible says, Cyrus, anointed of the Lord, liberator of Israel. And in verse 24 of chapter 44, it says, thus says the Lord, your redeemer. And then down around 26 through 28, it says, I say to Jerusalem, be inhabited to the cities of Judah, be rebuilt. I will raise up their ruins. It is I who said to the deep, be dry. I will dry up your wellsprings. And then it says in verse 28, I say of Cyrus, my shepherd, who fulfills my every wish, he shall say of Jerusalem, let her be rebuilt, and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. And then in chapter 45, it goes on to say, I, the Lord, do all these things. It was I who stirred up one for the triumph of justice. All his ways I make level. He shall rebuild my city and let my exiles go free without price or ransom, says the Lord of hosts. And so the Lord is using Cyrus, who was a pagan king, to do his will and to fulfill the will of his chosen ones. And so Cyrus was chosen, although he did not proclaim God as the one true God. He, he didn't proclaim the truth of God, but he was anointed. He was anointed in his kingship to serve the people. And in fact, it was King Cyrus, although he conquered many, in fact, I think he was one of the greatest of all great kings in history. As he conquered the peoples, he allowed those conquering peoples governing powers. And so he respected the religions and the different cultures of the peoples that he conquered, which included the chosen people, the Israelites. And so God was one, excuse me, Cyrus was one anointed by God. He was chosen to be, in fact, the scriptures even say a shepherd, you know, a shepherd cares for the flock he is entrusted. He doesn't dominate over them. He doesn't oppress them. He doesn't subject his people to ruin, but a good shepherd cares for his people. And so I think about Cyrus as one who didn't know the Lord, yet he did the Lord's will. God used this Cyrus, God used this king of many lands, even though this king wasn't pledging allegiance to the Lord, God uses whomever God wishes as an instrument of peace. And I think 
what what my mind thinks about are all of the different rulers of the world today, whether they're rulers of countries, whether they're political rulers, whether they have a position of power in a school or a business or another institution, whether it's secular or religious, God can use these leaders, and it begins with the leader in your church, you know, the head of the household and the in the instruments of peace. We can be instruments of peace. And so today, I invite us, as we've been invited by many different rulers in various church communities, to pray for peace where there is great war, to pray for those who are in a ruling situation. They have a particular realm of influence that these individuals would use that influence to do God's will, that they would be open instruments for God's grace and peace to reside. We've heard so many times that where there, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And so where there are sinful actions happening or for the greatest sinner, that greatest sinner has greatest access to God's mercy. So instead of being anxious or worried about the crises that we see in our day, whether they're worldwide global crises or something within our own home. Let's pray for the intercession of Osiris, you know, the one who is used as a shepherd to use that power, to use that influence to do God's will. The responsorial psalm is so beautiful because all that are created that truly recognize the creator give glory and honor to God. That was the Psalm. Give the Lord glory and honor. Give to the Lord glory. Do his name. Worship the Lord. Awesome is he and highly to be praised. And that's what we're called to do is to be that joyful, praising people who praise the Lord. One thing I'll mention in the letter to the Thessalonians from St. Paul is he mentions these beautiful virtues of faith, hope, and love. He says, it's a beautiful line. We give thanks to God always for all of you, remembering you in our prayers, unceasingly calling to mind your work of faith, labor of love, and endurance in hope. Paul is recognizing the virtues that the people are, are living out in their Christian faith, even amidst temptations, and they certainly fall and falter along the way, as do we. But he points out their work of faith, the things that they do, the labor of love, how in which they do those things through love and charity, and then this endurance, that it's grounded in a hope, a hope in the Lord, a hope in a, of eternal life. And it comes from, he closes his this little segment we hear today with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit has given them this ability to work in faith to have a labor of love and to have endurance and hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In this story of the gospel in Matthew that is being told by Matthew, 
we hear that the Pharisees, it's interesting because two enemies are teaming up. So they would be unlikely to work together, the Herodians and the Pharisees. They approached, particularly in this instance, they approached paying the temple tax or paying taxes to Caesar in a completely opposite manner. However, they're coming together to foil another enemy, and their enemy is Jesus. They've chosen Jesus to be their enemy. Jesus doesn't want to be their enemy. Jesus is trying to unify all people, but yet they are coming together and they're trying to, as it says right here, entrap Jesus. And Jesus uses wisdom. Jesus easily recognizes, first of all, why are you two working together? You two are always not uh, working together in your livelihoods of how you live out a Pharisee and a Herodian life. And yet you're coming to ask me a question of wisdom. And so the Lord calls them on the carpet and isn't going to engage them to answer their question, but to kind of put that back onto them, you know, and asking them, well, pull out a, a, pull out a coin. He's just calling their hypocrisy to line and reminding them, okay, on that coin, there is this image of Caesar. So pay to Caesar. What is Caesar's? But pay to God what belongs to God. And if we are truly made in the image and likeness of God, then our whole being is because of God, was created out of God. And so, yes, there are temporal things that we give to pay for roads or pay for schools or whatever that might be, those taxes of the temporal. But Jesus is calling us to something greater as well and calling us to give our whole bodies, minds, and spirits to the one, to the one true God who created us, that spiritual and eternal gift that is God. I want to just share a couple of inspiring pieces of in conversation with God for today's reflections. And one is just about our faith and that our faith can be a powerful light in a world of darkness. It says here, when it comes to fundamental questions of social morality, Christians should be fully aware of the fact that their religious faith serves as a powerful light, illuminating the whole area of the common good. The teachings of God and his church are not an obstacle to human welfare or scientific progress. They are rather a sure guide for the realization of those worthy goals. When, for example, a Christian maintains the indissolubility of marriage, he is showing the way to guaranteeing the health of society. He thus provides huge benefit to all. It is not a question of safeguarding our own special privileges. We have so much to give for the good of society. This is what we can learn from the example of the first Christians. A person with a well-formed conscience can make an enormous contribution to the real welfare of his or her fellow citizens. The Christian has a most precious light to offer amidst much darkness. And so we shouldn't shy away from living out fully our Christian faith, the, the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus, but we should bring it out 
because in bringing it out, it is good for all, whether or not they recognize the one true God. Cyrus didn't recognize the one true God, but his allowing the different people to live in the different cultures and the religions that they had, his respect for humanity, God worked through that and bless the people. This is a quote and a, a reflection from Pope John Paul I, Pope John Paul I, who said this, in this, sane, in this same society, there is a terrible moral and religious void. Today, all seems frantically directed toward material conquests. Make money, invest, surround oneself with new comforts, live the good life, Few think also of doing good. Pope John Paul I said, God, who should fill our life, has on the contrary become a very distant star to which people look only at certain moments. People believe they are religious because they go to church, but outside of church, they want to lead the same life as many others, marked by small or big deceits, acts of injustice, sins against charity, and thus they lack total coherence. This is not the way to render to God the things that are God's. Thinking about our scripture today where Jesus is looking at the coin, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what belongs to God. The proper path lies in living a coherent life of faith. We should act as children of God in the halls of government, as well as in the living rooms of our friends. Do you act differently when you're voting versus how you act with your friends or how you act in church? We should have the firm conviction that the church is an unquenchable source of truth, the only source capable of filling our modern age's terrible moral and religious void. Would you say that our world has a moral and religious void? Yeah. A society without these values is at the mercy of aggressive elements and prey to a gradual dehumanization. God is not a distant star out of touch with mankind. He is a most powerful light who gives meaning and significance to all human affairs. We Christians, then, are the ones who have to transform the world we live in in alliance with all people of good will. Render to God the things that are God's. And I think about all of the letters that have been written by our popes, past popes, including Pope St. John Paul II. You know, these letters, these encyclicals, these documents of the church, many of them, in fact, I would say most of them are written to people of goodwill. It's to all people of goodwill. Whether or not you believe or even know about Jesus Christ as the one true God, the letter of truth is written to all. Truth is for all people. It's not for a chosen, but it will become the chosen who decide to accept that truth. I think of last week when we heard about the one man who came into the wedding feast, but he wasn't wearing the wedding garment that he was given, a way in which to approach that beautiful feast. He didn't fully prepare for that beautiful feast of truth, that beautiful banquet of the kingdom of God. There is a conversion that's called on from our hearts 
for our whole beings. We're called to be converted. We're, we're called to be changed. And that change comes from a radical relationship with Jesus Christ, a radical relationship with Jesus Christ. You know who had a radical relationship to Jesus Christ? This man right here, Pope St. John Paul II. And this month of October, which is dedicated to the Most Holy Rosary and Our Lady of the Most Holy Rosary is really fitting that, one, it was fitting that Pope John Paul II was elected, our Pope, in October of 1978, and we recognize his feast day on October 22nd, where he took office in 1978, and so we recognize his feast day, the day that he entered into his Petrine papacy, that this is the day we honor Pope St. John Paul II. And this is just a little quote that's in my calendar for today, Pope St. John Paul II, and remember, that the Holy Father, Pope St. John Paul II, entrusted the world to divine mercy. Here's the quote. This proclamation, this confession of trust in the all-powerful love of God is especially needed in our own time. Divine mercy. When mankind is experiencing bewilderment in the face of many manifestations of evil, the invocation of God's mercy needs to rise up from the depth of hearts filled with suffering, apprehension, and uncertainty, and at the same time yearning for an infallible source of hope. That is why we have come here today in order to glimpse once more in Christ the face of the Father. The Father of mercies and the God of all consolation. This is the dedication of the Shrine of Divine Mercy homily that John Paul II gave in Krakow in August of 2002. John Paul II, Saint Pope John Paul II the Great, entrusted the world to divine mercy. He saw the evils that many people have taken on and he knew that the way to combat that evil is to, to abound in God's mercy, to open up the floodgates of God's divine mercy. That's the spread of the message of divine mercy. That's that beautiful gift of the diary of St. Faustina Kowalska, whose feast day is October 5th. Where, where sin abounds, where the greatest sinners abound, a greatest access to God's mercy is offered by God. Pope St. John Paul II, pray for us. God be with you. You have been listening to Faith Moments with Dina Marie, reflections upon the liturgical scripture readings for the Sunday Mass. New podcast episodes are released weekly through the generous support of Mater Dei Radio. To learn more about Faith Moments with Dina Marie, visit me online at dinamarie.org. That's dinamarie.org. May you have a blessed week. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.